upholding us, I think of you, you who have been my waves. You have held me close and you have been gracious enough to allow me to be one of the waves in a vast ocean holding you. The ministry of this congregation is shared among us all. And so in this sense, we have been waves together in the powerful motions that keep our fellowship boat afloat and navigate it through whatever waters we encounter. Isn't it a joy to be able to journey together? My heart is full of that gladness, even as parting from you is a choppy sea indeed. I will miss you, the friends and members of the fellowship community. 
such great things we have accomplished together. And most of it was pretty fun. In no particular order, we celebrated the national marriage equality victory. And we expanded the footprint of our building by over half with this lovely sanctuary. We voted to declare ourselves a sanctuary congregation, weathered a very difficult interim period, searched for and settled a new senior minister. We ordained two ministers who followed the call to ministry from our membership. We made and ate Indian dinners before annual meetings. We explored a commitment to the movement for Black Lives, discerned and ultimately declined the possibility of merging with area congregations. We blessed babies and we welcomed new members with flowers and pancakes. We had an all ages worship service about friendship where I got to dress as Susan B. Anthony and I made Amy be Frederick Douglass. Does anyone else have fond memories of that? We decorated sugar skulls in RE and held occasional services in the park across the street. We launched the Journey Group program and we refinanced our building mortgage. We raised money for causes local and global. We supported our Unitarian Universalist Association and we called upon them for help. We mourned the deaths of many good and beloved people among us. We laughed and cried at weddings. And we did all kinds of mundane things like singing hymns, updating bylaws, attending committee meetings, changing the clocks twice a year and sanitizing the nursery and doing them together rendered them sacred. The William Stafford poem, Marie Honored Me by Reading Together has long been a favorite of mine because it too renders sacred the common. It's about a mountain, a more appropriate geographic reference to my current Pacific Northwest location than the gentle flat landscape of North Central Wisconsin. Stafford, late poet laureate of my Oregon home state, is so good at describing life's complex harmony in simple terms that elevate our understanding. To be a mountain, you have to climb alone and accept all that rain and snow. You have to look far away when evening comes. If a forest grows, you care. You stand there, leaning against the wind, waiting for someone with faith enough to ask you to move. Great stones will tumble against each other and gouge your sides. A storm will live somewhere in your canyons, hoarding its lightning. Over the years, the visual snapshots of these phrases have come to symbolize to me the, the calling of ministry. And then eventually, our shared ministry here at the fellowship. Many undertakings, all for the common purpose of just being. If you are lucky, people will give you a dignified name and bring crowds to admire how sturdy you are. 
how long you can hold still for the camera. And sometime, they say, if you last long enough, you will hear God. A voice will roll down from the sky and all your patience will be rewarded. The whole world will hear it. Well done. Well done, the ultimate benediction. Maybe this whole service is itself a benediction in the traditional sense of a blessing bestowed at the end of something spiritually significant. Endings can be hard and we weather them often in congregational life. The end might most immediately call to mind when people pass from life, regardless of what we believe or wonder about the afterlife. The end of a human life is an obvious goodbye, whether the death is sudden or unexpected. And yet, partings come to us through divorce, moving, growing older, and countless other kinds of life transitions, even including changes in a program, staffing, or general direction in a congregation. As Blue Boat Home observes, steering through the stormy waters of a goodbye can take us into the territory of deep drifting. I have learned in part through serving you that one of the most crucial goodbye practices is simply naming it. It is important to say goodbye, to make real with our words or behaviors that a parting or ending is at hand. When it comes to my resignation, we have been doing that already for months, right? The congregational rule of thumb is that when people get sick of hearing it, then you've said it almost enough. By that basic measure, I hope we're good. If you're a brand new visitor, welcome. It's especially beautiful to host at moments of change. So thank you for letting us do that. Otherwise, I hope you are not surprised by any radical new information from me this morning. Even if we all know what is happening, the tender task remains to try to capture in mere words what it has meant to know one another and now to part ways. Tradition decrees that a minister's last sermon include a charge of sorts or some, some pointed advice. One reason that feels inauthentic is that the pandemic has so thoroughly shaken everything up. We are still finding our way back and through. I suspect your task at hand as a community is simply to move forward together, like we sang, by leaning over the edge in wonder, casting questions. That said, I'd love to just share a simple observation that your staff is overwhelmed. It's hard to talk about because 
this isn't your fault. You have not asked for too much or been unpleasant. The vast majority of you have offered supportive understanding and real collaboration. But as anyone doing anything since March 2019 knows, it's gotten a lot harder and more complicated to have almost any kind of job, especially one that involves community building and relationships. From my threshold vantage point, one foot in, one foot out. The staff will benefit from some widespread congregational leadership so they can keep on keeping on. I say this not to be a downer, rather the opposite, to shout hooray from the rooftops that you all have good people doing good work on your behalf. It's been incredible to serve you with my coworkers. Reverend Christina's cheerfulness, Minister Ali's sensitivity, Phyllis's faithfulness, Cindy's efficiency, Kim's creativity, Steve's insightfulness, Marie's care, Adam's mastery, and now Jonathan, who I'm just getting to appreciate. Our staff has trusted me and educated me. They have been deep and dear companions in the beauty and terror of ministry. They've made it fun. The one charge I will offer, should you accept it, isn't specifically about the fellowship, it's bigger. It's harder to accomplish. We, now you, need to figure out new, more and better ways to be anti-racist. Not as a philosophical opportunity to engage theory, although that's a necessary intellectual component of living ethically on this planet right now. I'm talking about something different, a life-saving daily practice, a strategic intervention that could make the Fox Cities a livable place for more people. Racism exists everywhere, but there is a particular pattern of behavior in Wisconsin that my family has not encountered elsewhere. My family moved away in June and no one has shouted the N-word at my kids or partner since then. While during our years in Appleton, it was a weekly occurrence, at least. I have not known how to lead you on this front. I don't know how to halt or heal this, and I won't list every incident and situation that motivated our move, but I know in my bones and gut and in the part of me that knows God that it's worth risk and conflict and elbow grease and our actual relationships with each other to figure out what part you as individuals, but more you as a community can play in this landscape. I hold 
none of you personally responsible for the ugliness we experienced on the street and at Lawrence, at the library, in the foster care system, at school, at the Y and on the playground. I know you join me in rage and grief. Thank you for the ways you have already committed to and championed efforts against racism and other forms of violence and discrimination. Thank you for the ways you have offered me and mine loving shelter as we endured. My kids especially always felt safe and loved at the fellowship. I treasure and celebrate that every day. What a joy. I wish to end not with the frustration, but with the joy and with thanks. Thank you for letting me lead you and for continuing to teach me so much about ministry, but also about how to be a better person. I will never forget that in a survey about whether the membership of the fellowship supported my being called as your associate minister years back. A few people wrote that they experienced and observed me as kind above all. I'm, I'm not mentioning this to brag or to suggest I believe I am kinder than most people. I don't. But it was one of the most meaningful compliments of my life that people named me as kind. I've thought about it carefully ever since, and it has actually caused me to be able to access my own kindness more and more as time has unfolded. Isn't that funny? It's like Stafford's poem, a voice rolled down from the sky and with a reward for just doing my job the best I could, often, very imperfectly. It's made me kinder, and I am always proud when I'm able to be kind. I have been transformed by witnessing your loving behavior with each other and by getting to experience myself how great it feels to be loved by you. Don't forget how powerful it is to tell people when and how you appreciate them. It matters how we are with each other. For almost 10 years, I have had the sacred trust and privilege of serving you. Now, I return this sacred trust of ministerial service to you for safekeeping. I accept and celebrate that I have not been the first to receive and safeguard it. I have not held it alone. Rather, I've been joined in this labor of love most recently by Reverend Christina and Minister Ali. I am mindful that you have before you ministers still to come, unknown to us now but no less valued. Two called and settled ministers have resigned before now 
in the fellowship's history. The Reverend Dottie Matthews, who has become a friend and mentor to me, like she was to many of you. And more recently, the Reverend Roger Birchhausen, the fellowship's long serving, now emeritus senior minister. When Roger left, we shared with him some words of mutual release. I am a different person than Roger. Mine has been a different ministry and this congregation is different too, just by nature of the years that have now passed. But he said to you in his last service, what I wish to say now. In love and awe of the fellowship's ministry, which began before me and will endure after me, I gratefully release you from your responsibilities to me. Thank you for all of the ways you have said goodbye. I will miss and love you, even as I will not be involved in the fellowship anymore. I will not do ministry for and with you after next week. I say this plainly, not to offend, but to respect you by naming honestly the task before us, to care for each other and the fellowship across this boundary of a goodbye. As a very tiny and symbolic token of my thanks, I wish to close this sermon with a small poem I wrote to and for you all. It's called, When They Say Thank You. Gratitude is a mirror they let you hold. Kind people see their best kindness in you. Okay, that's it from me. Well done, all around. Amen.